Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And can we give him praise right now? What a beautiful day. I'll tell you what. Woo! Love this and love being here with you right now as we don't just, you know, continue our series. We're actually completing the series today. And before I do that, though, just want to point out the obvious. Next weekend, Easter Sunday. So I want to ask you, who are you going to invite? Who could you invite to join us here? I want you to think about that. Easter is a pivotal time for people in their faith. Also, if you're watching online, perhaps you've been watching online with us uh, throughout COVID and even now, and if that's the case, love that, but I want to encourage you to make Easter Sunday morning your first time back here or your second time back here, and let's celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. And so I encourage you to be part of that because we're going to talk about why would we believe in the resurrection. What's that all about? We're going to dive into that. Well, today, as I was thinking about our subject today, I came across this article that was talking about Fantasia. You probably heard of her, perhaps. She's a musical artist, and uh, she was known, really, for making this statement uh, some time ago, just a few years ago, that was intended to promote her recent album, but instead it promoted a bit of controversy, because the statement that she made Uh, It sent thousands of posts and everything, and she said this, that the reason it's been hard for, you know, many women to keep their man is because they don't allow the man to lead the way. Well, I'm sure she sold some albums, but she had many more comments, I think, than album sales uh, as a result of saying that because she's talking about something that the the Bible refers to and, and many Christians refer to as submission. And I don't know about you, but many people in our culture today view the idea of submitting much like they view having a tooth pulled at the dentist without any lidocaine. You know, it's downright painful. They don't want to do it. I mean, let's be honest. Even as I raise the idea of submission as relates to the marriage, uh, there are both men and women online and in this room who are trying to manage your discomfort. This is not a popular theme. And you might be uncomfortable because you have a certain idea in mind as to what Scripture states regarding this subject. After all, submission relates to what's known as headship. And some people believe that headship in marriage means that unless there is something immoral or illegal going on, the husband has the final say in every decision for their marriage and family. And when the wife disagrees with that decision, which might lead her to share her opinion, well, it signifies she is not properly submitting, which means she's not really being a good, godly wife. After all, I've had men say to me, Phil, after all, Paul did write these words. Wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And for some of the husbands who have talked with me, this kind of includes everything. It almost sounds like men hold the gender trump card when it comes to their marriage. And so today as I talk about this, I just got to be just honest with you. I always am, but I just got to be honest with you because today's lesson, what I'm going to talk about and what more appropriately what Paul is writing about uh, might represent how your marriage works if you're married right now. Might represent how you want your marriage to work if you get married one day. And if that's the case, I celebrate with you. 
But I gotta be honest and say, I've sat with far too many couples that have come to my office where the husband is really angry since his wife doesn't always do what he wants. And the wife is literally weeping in my office because she believes she's not being a good godly wife since she doesn't always comply or comply willingly. I've seen this pain far too often. And so I've got to address this here today. I'm going to be a bit more direct. You're going to hear some of that. But I've also sat with other couples where the wife was kind of proud about her dominance in the marriage and the words that she used and how she used them. And the husband was more passive and agreeable on most every situation. And then there are those in the middle that have come into my office where the husband is kind of wondering, well, I'm the leader, so I should be making even more decisions for us, shouldn't I? And the wife is sitting there going, well, God has given me the natural gifts of management, and so why doesn't my views matter a bit more in our marriage? I see people laughing already because I'm hitting on some things, and that's where we're going to take a look at Ephesians 5 today. And so before I do that, I want to address uh, some popular phrases I have heard men often use as a means of describing how their marriage works. Now, as I address each one of these four phrases, I want you to think to yourself, which one of these is correct? And then when I'm done reading all four, I want you to be willing to like raise your hand and vote for one. That's laughter. It's called nervous laughter. Um, so here we go. Number one, in our marriage, I have a 51% role in making decisions, and my wife has 49%. That sounds almost equal. I mean, is that what Paul has in mind with Ephesians 5? I've heard that one so many times. How about this one? In our marriage, I am the first among equals. So the word equal sounds really good. It feels really good. So is this what Paul's really talking about? Well, I've heard this one so many times too. In our marriage, I am the pilot and my wife is the co-pilot. So this signifies some kind of team approach when it comes to the marriage. Is this what Paul is talking about? Or how about this one? Uh, this is a little bit different than the first three. In our marriage, no one is in charge since we decide everything together. And this kind of refers to some kind of consensus style of marriage where there is no submission but a lot of cooperation. Well, now your time has come. One, two, three, or four. Who would say number one? That's the right one. That's what I thought. And I'm not going to go any farther because nobody wants to do this. They're saying, Phil, you're crazy. I'm not doing this. Uh, nope, 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 nope. Because there's a lot of discomfort, because there's a lot of confusion. And if you're confused, just rest in knowing you're not alone. You're not alone. Here's the thing. I believe many marriages have suffered lacked joy, or have even ended because of this confusion. And a huge part of this confusion relates to the word submission. Because when many people hear that word, they tend to think who is in charge and who is not. Some even refer to this as patriarchy, a system where men hold all the power and men are excluded from power. And yet, no matter where it comes from, a man or a woman, is this really what a godly marriage is about? Who holds the power? Hmm. Some people think that it is. And so, I just say, if Scripture really intends this, why in the world does Paul write this statement? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I want you to notice something here that many people have either ignored or they try to somehow redefine, because I've heard it. Here's the thing, both parties in the marriage are to submit to one another out of their reverence for Jesus Christ. And that requires humility on both parts. See, anytime we're grappling for power or demanding that we hold the power position, we are not embracing humility, nor are we showing any reverence for Jesus Christ. Friends, it's really important to understand how we got here. And it starts really back in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Because it's here where Paul writes these words. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, you probably remember how I said submission has a lot to do with humility, And here we see this because Paul is setting the stage for his conversation about marriage by first conveying how humility and submission applies to all of us when we are together because we are the family of God. And so he's saying, you know what? You gotta walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So how did Christ love us? Well, he's loved us in a variety of different ways, but certainly he's shown his love by submitting his will to the Father and dying on the cross on our behalf. So think about it this way. To love another like Christ loves me requires that I submit humbly and daily to the one who made me. Let me say that again. To love another like Christ loves me requires that I submit humbly and daily to the one who made me. And that applies to all of us if we are married or if we are not. And here's the thing. Because Paul knew that we wouldn't naturally want to live or love this way, Well, he wrote some words that I addressed in last week's sermon. He said this, be very careful then how you should live. Careful, not as unwise, but as wise. You see, for Paul, an unwise person demands that he or she be in charge. A wise person demands that God leads the way. It's why Paul then writes, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that means that we are to live and we are to love according to God's will, not our own. Now, regarding how this works in a marriage relationship, one couple wrote it this way. The heart of headship includes an invitation to step into the larger story where God is the main character and not to live in a smaller story where functionally the husband is the main character. Biblical headship includes a husband denying himself, dying to selfishness, and placing his spouse's needs and feelings above his own. And that brings us back to what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So first lesson, submission in marriage begins with mutual submission to Christ. Submission in marriage begins with mutual submission to Christ. Since Christ is the head of the church and should be the head of each Christian marriage, both husband and wife recognize Jesus as their ultimate leader and authority. So husbands and wives, or anyone here who is listening even who wants to be a husband and wife one day, hear me on this. If we are not submitting to God's word and God's will, we'll never be able to walk in the way of love in our marriage or anywhere else. Let me put it this way. If we can't walk in the way of love within our homes, we'll never be able to walk in love in our communities. And if we're primarily concerned with who is in charge in our homes, we're gonna seek to dominate and manipulate others wherever we are. It all starts in the home. 
And the problem is that while many Christians love what Christ has done for them, they don't prioritize their submission to him. That's why Paul reminds us in another letter. He writes these beautiful but powerful words. In your relationships with one another. That's every form of relationship, right? A neighbor, a relationship with your neighbor, relationship with your coworker, relationship with a friend, relationship with your marriage, all these. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, there's that dying theme again. Don't you kind of wonder why that keeps showing up? You see, friends, according to Scripture, as followers of Christ, the apex of power is submission, not control. The apex of power is submission, not control. So husbands, and I'm one. Here's the thing. You can't expect your wife to submit unless you have first submitted to Jesus Christ. And wives? Well, I mean, let me stop there because you know what? Here's the thing. I'm just gonna stop there. because I say that and I hear some amens, but here's the thing and here's why it's so important. Because in our humanness, sin wants to enter in. And I'll tell you what, we often want to expect then things that Christ would never expect for her in our marriages. Things like obedience rather than submission or sexual gratification rather than God glorification or submitting to you rather than you first submitting to the Lord. And wives, you can't help ensure your husband's contentment unless you first submitted to Christ as well because only he really knows what's truly right and good for your husband and for you. And I believe a lot of confusion exists in marriages today because a lot of confusion exists regarding what a man and a woman even is. I mean, in our culture today, people just not even sure how to define those things anymore. So let me start by talking about what a biblical man is. I could talk about this all day, but we just got so much time. First, a biblical man controls his emotions and passions. He doesn't abuse women or children. He protects them. He keeps his hands off a woman who is not his wife and treats his wife with love, respect, and dignity. I love that word, dignity. What could that look like in your marriage? A biblical man provides for his family. As a husband, he provides for his wife by putting her needs first. And as a father, he provides for his children by modeling Christ's love for them and teaching them along with his wife how to walk in the ways of God. A biblical man provides for the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of his family. Third, a biblical man protects his family. And being a protector includes more than just ensuring physical safety. Being a protector also includes modeling wisdom and teaching wisdom to your children. Proverbs 4 says it this way, Listen, my children, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. 
Fourth, a biblical man models integrity and humility for his family. Scripture clearly says it this way. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This brings us back full circle to our first lesson. Submission in marriage begins with mutual submission to Christ. And this includes both husbands and wives humbly submitting to the Lord. And here's the thing. It's really not that helpful for us to move further into Ephesians 5 until we get this one right first. So let me ask you, husbands, wives, singles, do you live in submission to Jesus Christ? Do you? And if you'd say yes, well, would others in your life agree with you? And what does God think? Is he truly worshiped by the way you live and the way that you love I really like how one couple said it to me. I, I, this is, uh, write this one down, take a picture of it, and really think about this later when you go home. It is possible to submit without love, but it's impossible to love without submitting. See, I can submit all day long and hate every single moment I'm doing it, but I'll do it. So it's possible, but love that means that you truly care for that other person. And if there's truly a need that they have, you're gonna you know, wanna meet that and submit your will in a situation for their benefit. So our mutual submission to the Lord is the foundation for everything. And it's based on this foundation. Then let's read on in verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, take a look here. That, that word is italicized, submit. And it's italicized for a reason because it's not there in the original Greek. Here's what Paul really, really uh, intended. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, before I move on any further, I want to draw our attention to two kind of Similar phrases, depending on your version of the Bible. In verse 21, the phrase, as to Christ. And in verse 22, as to the Lord. So a wife submits first to Christ, and then as an outflow of that relationship, she submits to her husband. Leads to the second lesson. Submission for the wife means submitting to her husband as she submits to Christ. And that means then for the wife that she's all about seeking God. Knowing God, reading his word, being about that. Friends, it's paramount. And I say this because Christ serves as the covering for her in the marriage relationship. As I referenced earlier, every human being is sinful and often wants what's best for themselves. And so a godly wife would humbly hear her husband. And then if it's obvious what, you know, what's to do, then just do that. But if there's something that comes up, it doesn't quite doesn't quite meet peace in your heart, then bring what you hear before the Lord before you respond. And that requires that you submit to the Lord through prayer and through scripture. And it also requires that you don't try to twist scripture to try to achieve your own objective. We're known for doing that as Christians. Let's just twist a little bit for my advantage. We gotta humbly read it, apply it, live by it. I say this because Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. 
So I'm hoping you notice the word as because we've underlined it. And I've underlined that for a reason. But I also want you to know that I've temporarily omitted the last two words of this verse because I want us to understand Paul's true intent first. That Paul places parameters on the headship given to the husband in marriage. And I want us to notice this. That the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And this is a really important distinction. It causes us to ask some questions like, how does Christ then display his headship over the church? For example, in scripture, do we ever see Jesus making his followers comply? No. Do we ever see Jesus using his Messiah trump card as a means of forcing his will on someone else? No, but we see a lot of him serving. A lot of him serving. And he invited people to follow him. He didn't make people follow him. Jesus loved people and he invited them to experience a close, loving, intimate relationship with him. But he didn't force them to do that because that's not love. And even so, I would say sadly, some husbands think that submission in marriage signifies obedience then in marriage. But here's the thing. It's only children in the family who are instructed to obey, and that's in the next chapter, chapter six. So let's talk about the difference. Obedience is compliance with an order given by someone in authority, like a parent. Submission is putting others before yourself. Putting others before yourself. So men, hear me on this. I just wanna humbly speak to this. It's really important. Whenever you try to force your wife to do something, You're acting like her father, not her husband. And even if you are a father in a situation, remember you're to lead and talk humbly so that you do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Remember, in your marriage you should follow the example of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So a godly husband then doesn't demand service from his wife. He demands, though, of himself that he properly serves first. Brings us to a third definition, servant. Someone who sets aside all rights of their own to serve another. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like what it means to submit. Very close. So... Think about this. When it comes to making an important decision, like maybe you're not seeing things eye to eye on something, maybe a little different, maybe you're way different on some things. But when it comes to making that decision, instead of announcing, okay, I've been thinking about what we discussed, and here's what we're going to do. A biblical man and husband might serve his wife in marriage by saying, okay, I've been thinking about what we've discussed. Before a decision is made, how about we examine scripture together and pray together and seek God's will together? I think by doing so, the answer is going to come by a whole lot easier. And if the solution still isn't clear out of that servant leadership, he might say, okay, please help me to understand why you're still viewing things this way. And then he would also invite her to ask him the same question. And ultimately, yes, a decision will need to get made if it's an important one. But here's the thing I want us to think about. A quick decision is usually the result of a selfish heart, not a servant heart. And it's out of a servant heart set and mindset that Paul penned the next verse. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I've met men in my life 
Do those last two words like the favorite words for them in the Bible? Very vocal about it. So what is, what is Paul talking about here? Well, let me, let me say it this way. Paul is saying that the wife should submit in everything that Christ would desire for her as his bride. Husbands, remember, your wife eternally will walk with the Lord. She only temporarily walks beside you. She belongs to him. Now, I want us to think about something that's related, and you're going to say, Phil, how, why in the world are you going here? But I think it's important. Jesus said this, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. So because she and you belong to him, you are his children, you belong to him. But, but in light of this verse, also I want to clarify something that has nothing to do with marriage, and I'm sorry, I just got to do it, because I've seen this so often on Facebook, and I just got to comment on it. Jesus said that in heaven we will be like the angels, since angels are single. Jesus didn't say we will become angels. So when someone dies, we as Christians shouldn't post, well, there's another angel in heaven. Did you hear the bell ring? We should say another one of God's children is in God's presence in heaven. We don't more from becoming God's children, becoming God's angels. But I digress. So let's go back to the heart of things. And as it, as it pertains to marriage, let me just ask this question. What wife wouldn't want to submit to a husband who's truly leading as a servant? After all, a servant doesn't make demands. A servant sets their rights aside and serves the other person first. That's a game changer. And it leads to a third lesson. Submission for the husband means sacrificing more than the wife out of reverence for Christ. And some are thinking, more? I don't think so. I've never heard that before. That sounds unbiblical. Well, let's take a look at the Bible. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ show his love for the church? We talked about this, but Paul talks about this very clearly in the second half of verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And there's that dying theme again. It just keeps showing up over and over and over and over again. And one reason I think it does is because some people look at scripture and they've talked to me and says the Bible says only the wife is to submit, not the husband. But let's be honest here. Serving and submitting are incredibly similar. Let's just start there. They both put the other person first. And when Christ died on the cross, before he went there, right, he's praying to his father. He had one thing in mind and ultimately he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, I don't know what you want to call that, but that's submission. We're to do this in our marriages. So a husband is called to submit his will to God for the benefit of his wife. He's to be willing to lay his life down for her. And that leads to another misunderstanding I've heard some men say. Well, you know, if ever a time came I had to die for my wife, I would. It's easy to say when you know that time's never really going to come. And that's not really what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about a minute-by-minute, day-by-day death of our pride and selfishness so that true love can be revealed. It's called moving from me to we. So submission for the husband means sacrificing more than the wife out of reverence for Christ because only the husband is called upon to lay his life down every single day. Every day. 
And what is the outcome when a husband lives this way and loves this way? Well, it's similar to the outcome that occurs as a result of Christ's death on our behalf. Take a look here, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Here's the key words, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And man, that's a lot of responsibility God places on us as husbands. It's a lot of responsibility, which should lead to an outcome, friends, that will never be accomplished if our primary concern is who is in charge. It just won't. And if that is still a question for you, it's bothering you back there. Who is in charge? Well, Paul has already answered the question for us. Who is in charge? Christ is. Christ is. We are to submit to him in our marriage. We are to submit to Christ with the use of our bodies in our marriage. So Paul is basically saying, if you love yourself enough not to abuse your own body, then by all means, don't abuse hers. As you honor your own body, honor her body. And then Paul continues, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body, the body of Jesus Christ. And this means that all of us, men and women who are submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, belong to Christ. And it's with this understanding in mind, Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You've probably heard that before. That's a quote from Genesis chapter two. And this carries a great deal of significance I don't want you to miss, because many people do. They overlook it, they just kind of read and go on. It's a quote from Genesis 2. And here at the end of Genesis 2, here's the thing. Man and wife live free from any kind of notion which asked, who is in charge? That question only emerged after they sinned and tried to take charge themselves. After sin entered this world, now we're, we're like trying to dominate each other. Beforehand, we're not asking that question. So Paul is calling us back to God's original design for marriage, not the kind of marriage that existed after the fall. It's one reason why Paul says that this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. Love and respect. Paul is telling us that the primary need for the wife is to be loved, to know that she's loved. Paul is saying that the primary need for the husband is to be respected, respected. So as Paul kind of closes here, he's addressing the woman then, the wife, to respect her husband. And that brings us back to a question I asked earlier that you probably noticed I didn't get back to yet. I talked about what it means to be a godly man. What does it mean to be a woman, a biblical Woman, what does that mean? As some of you probably know in the news, it was all over the place a couple weeks ago, a judge in our country was asked this question, what is a woman? And she could not answer the question because in our world today, everything's turned upside down and no one really knows how to respond anymore. So what is a woman? I say we try asking that question again. And let's have a woman respond to that question. And as you listen, listen closely and take it in. 
The other day, a young lady, brown as the melanin in my daughter's eyes, said behind a mic that she hated being a woman. She wanted to know what it meant to be one. I've often wondered the same, looked around for the teaching of such to tell me of myself. We all learn to be by imitation or indoctrination. Mama and media can't help but train, tutor us into carbon copies of themselves. So then knowing who we are or what we should be is really understanding whose costumes we wear on most days, whose skeletons we switch with when Adam took his nap. I was told a woman was independent, autonomous, that she needed not a man or moon to keep her in orbit that she moved about as wind and breeze, lived without needing permission to interrupt all that is still and under restraint. I was told a woman cannot truly be herself, that is, if herself is not light enough, dark enough, if her hair is no Rapunzel replica, or if it be too underground railroad for those cotton acting men to stomach. I was told that my body is neither belonging of me nor its beauty innate, but that I am not gorgeous unless told by another woman's son to be so. When did the mouth of men in whose image women are not made and begin to damage us so silently? Maybe it was when we began believing the voices that have no deity in it. I was told a woman should not submit, should not be meek, that that type of behavior was only for women who treated their voice like a secret. I was told not to be a secret but a siren, to be as machete as I can and honor my opinions at the expense of respect. While some men may believe themselves to have liberty over a woman's body as taught how to destroy as only depravity could predict, we have equally learned how to tear and rip and undo dignity with a mere sentence or squint. It's called strong by society. They tell us that's what a backbone looks like. But beautiful is the spine that remembers where it came from. That lets its knowing of self not be determined by every wind of doctrine and dust, but God himself. We must unlearn the deep misunderstandings that compose themselves as empowerment, as freedom. Liberation has never come by way of unbelief. Eve did not attain life by finding beauty in lies, but only a naked body and a husband that forgot her first name. We women must be smarter, must be wiser, must be bent on loving truth. No matter how contradicting it is to a dying culture, I tell you, a woman is no fool unless she chooses to be if you ask me what is a woman I would tell you that she is a bone made alive with distinctions that set her apart as does the difference between a firefly and a new poem a woman is not a man her calling is not a synonym of inferiority her distinctions are not the child of patriarchy. They come from a creative God. Did you see his fingerprints in your hips? The whistling shadow of his mind when your body became home to another name that called you mommy where all the gladness you forgot could exist. A woman submits to her God, her husband, her church. She is no weak-willed or brittle-backed woman, but only as strong as humility and faith may identify her to be. They say submission sounds like servant. They say, that sounds like something to rebel against. I say, ain't it funny how being a servant is repulsive to everyone but God? And we wonder why we can't recognize his face if you ask me. If you ask me, what is a woman? I would tell you that she is a sister to all. Even those whose blood is not of the same roots who was still as kin as her mama's firstborn. And she treats these sisters like a wintered quilt. 
making sure her mouth does not unstitch that which was made to keep cold hearts warm. We are made up of nurture and everything comfortable. And that is why we feel so deep, why we cry so sudden, because the emotions that make us woman don't make us unstable, but turn us refuge to the chaos where our ribs once sat. We are necessary and nuanced at best. But a woman should be nothing more or less than what God made her to be if you asked me. What is a woman? I would tell you, ask the God who made her. So back to the quiz that I gave when we first started. So in our marriage, I have a 51% role in making decisions and my wife has 49%. Well, this statement is rooted in a who is in charge mindset. Because everyone knows that in the business world, if you own 51% of the company, you can basically do what you want. It's a power statement. How about this one? In our marriage, I am the first among equals. Well, if this statement said, well, in our marriage, I am the first to serve, well, then it'd be correct. But the statement as it is exists, it conveys that man is still first and servants don't view themselves this way. Third, in our marriage, I am the pilot and my wife is the co-pilot. Well, this is a bit closer because it talks about like companionship and unity and working together, and yet it's still primarily concerned with who sits in the power seat, and servants don't concern themselves with seats of power. In our marriage, no one is in charge since we decide everything together. Well, I love the idea that you decide things together. That's beautiful, but the idea that no one is in charge Christ should be in charge of the marriage. The husband and the wife should submit to him. And while both points of view should be humbly considered before making any really important decision, God did establish the husband as the servant leader. And this means that if a particular direction is not what he would choose for himself, but best meets the needs of his wife, well, he's going to often go with her in that direction unless scripture is clear to do otherwise. And this also means that when both husband and wife are submitted to Christ, there won't be that many times when they strongly disagree because they're both submitted to him. But if a time arises, well, out of his servant heart, out of her servant heart, they would look at each other and say, man, let, let's seek God in this. Let's go to his word. Let's pray. Ultimately knowing that humbly a decision needs to get made, but not in a spirit of control. So rather than embrace any one of these four, I want you to think about this one. In our marriage, the husband leads as a servant as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In our marriage, the husband leads as a servant as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some of you here are hurting right now. Online, you're hurting right now. I've talked to some who are just, you know, going through the divorce process right now, just recently divorced. Or you've come in here going, man, I don't know how I can make it to the next step. This is so hard. Submit your life to him. Follow him. He will bless your ways. And that includes your marriage. Let's be submitted to him. Let's not seek our will, our way, or who has the power position. Instead, let's talk to one another about what submission really looks like. 
And let's love one another deeply. This is a gift that God has given to us in marriage. Let's live it out beautifully, powerfully in a world that is so confused that needs to see Jesus in you. Will you stand with me? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against the other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, which means fully. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So dress well in your marriage. Dress well in your homes. Dress well in your workplaces. Dress well wherever you go. Because when love is the overcoat of your marriage, others will notice. And they'll want to follow the same Jesus you are. So go light the way. Go shine the way of love in this world. And live it out in your marriage or your marriage one day. And God will be glorified. And this world will see Jesus. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.